Fresh off watching the Geelong Cats beat the Dockers, Stewie, what do we got this week? On this week's show, progress in the West Indies England third test, we give out some presents for Christmas in July, round eight in the Hamstring Football League, and we salivate over the NBA restart and discuss our award winners. Could get a bit rude this week. All right, Shui, as we do every week, what caught your eye and what'd you miss? Oh, what caught my eye? Finally, some decent goal kicking. Uh, <laughs> we'll go into it a bit more detail in, in the footy wrap-up, but it was so nice to see some players finding the middle. Speaking of goal kicking, Shui, I, I nailed the trivia as far as the people, or two out of three ain't bad, but I, you, you have an update on the plugger scores. Yeah, you mentioned that he might have kicked nearly 600 with Sydney and St Kilda, when in actual fact he only, and I'm using inverted commas here, kicked 462 with the Swans. He is, though, the only player to kick both 400 and 450 goals with two teams. Yep, still a very fair effort. So that's what caught my eye, Nath. What caught yours? Well, I saw a witty thing on uh, The Daily Show. There was a a segment they did called I Apologise for Talking While You Were Talking, which gave me a good (laughs) chuckle in the vein of PTI or Pardon the Interruption, First Take, those sort of shows. It was quite a witty little, little segment. I must admit, with the Daily Show, when when uh, John Stewart left, I kind of wasn't a massive fan of Trevor Noah, but I've actually enjoyed the Daily Distancing Show more than the Daily Show. I've enjoyed it without an audience. Mm. So, definitely not enjoying sport without audiences, but some TV shows are actually better. Yeah. What'd yeah. you miss, mate? Well, I missed a lot of the scrimmage games in the run-up to the NBA restart, unfortunately, but we'll talk about what I did see shortly in our extended look for the next few months at the NBA. How about yourself? Well, it's funny you mention that because I was going to say the same thing. Oh, there you go. Uh, I... It was intentional. Um, I, I kind of viewed it as pre-season. I never tend to watch pre-season. Yeah. I watch enough of other things that you know, you've got to make time. You've got to budget your time. But now I actually regret it a little bit. Well, you're notoriously not a fan of the pre-season. No. Or any pre-seasons at all. Any of the, the pre-season AFL stuff you always no. laughed off. But yeah, yeah. no, there have been some really cool things happening. So we'll, I guess we'll talk about that a bit later. Quick news roundup, as always, we start off with Renee Gracie, who's come full circle, and that's a little (laughs) bit of a pun there. Uh, She's signaled a return to supercars and wants to own a team saying, sex tapes will fund my supercars dream. So we did that story in that first show where she moved from driving supercars to porn. It turns out that was a means to an end, and the money she's made in a very short amount of time is what will hopefully for her kickstart an ownership career. I guess she'll be looking to take out a different kind of poll. (laughs) Told you to be rude. (laughs) Moving on to the Olympic news. A recent survey shows that most of Japan don't actually want the Olympics anymore. It would have started over the weekend, of course. Yeah, we'd be three days into the 32nd Olympic Games right now, which were obviously cancelled several months ago. But a recent survey conducted by Kyoto News International found that less than 24% of respondents are in favour of actually hosting the Olympic and Paralympic Games next year. While 36.4 supported a further delay, something the Olympics Committee have already ruled out. Yep. Admittedly, this was only a sample of 1,041 people, so not even one in every 100,000 people in Japan. But you have to feel like this is probably a reasonably accurate summary of the feelings of the Japanese people. Well, I've heard polls of much less be treated as gospel, so that's mm. a decent sample. But at what point do you just cut your losses and say this will be the fourth time? Berlin 1916, Helsinki 1940, which was actually originally meant to be in Tokyo, and London 44, the Olympics are cancelled altogether. All three of those, obviously, because of world wars. If I was a betting man, I would say it's off. Mm. I don't see it going ahead. Yeah. I mean, you feel bad for the athletes who are at their peak right now, may never have a better opportunity to win a medal, but, I mean, life has to go above sport, surely. 
There's been talks of vaccines. Uh, there's some hope with a few different vaccines, actually. So mm-hmm. you never know. But then they've got to go through all the approvals. And yep. it's definitely not looking good, it's is it? It's not. In Major League Baseball news, we kind of talked about this in the early days and haven't really come back to it since. Originally, it was looking like it might not happen. It will go ahead. Well, indeed, it's already begun. So we had opening uh, day over the weekend with a whole slate of games. It's in a dramatically shortened season. Uh, There's talk of them increasing the playoff field from 10 to 16. Mm. And my understanding is that's not even set in stone. So to still be talking about that after the season started is bizarre. So there's a big asterisk on the MLB, I think. Yeah, that's not not great, is it? But some other news there. So firstly, uh, there was a player who tested positive, Juan Soto, who if you listen to Tony Kornheiser is their best day-to-day player. So that was a big out for them. So he tested positive. He couldn't play an opening day. But uh, in good news, Alyssa Nakin became the first woman on-field coach. Uh, She is a part of the San Francisco Giants. So there's some good news in the baseball world in... Yeah, in interesting circumstances. Obviously, they're not playing in a hub, so it's very different to the NBA. Mm. I've actually just read today that uh, reigning Cy Young winner Justin Verlander from the Houston Astros is going to be out for a couple of weeks with a forearm injury, which is not great for Houston, well, obviously. Pitching. But a really cool stat. It's the first time in 66 years that no team is undefeated after three games. <laughs> wow. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Similar how, thing happened in the AFL. Like, yeah. yeah. You'd think there'd have to be at least one team, but yeah. not a single one. I double-checked this. Everyone's at two and one or one and two. There you go. It's amazing. Staying, I guess, on the baseball, Dr. Anthony Fauci was roasted during the week after throwing out a pretty awful first pitch. Oh, this pitch. is great. He might be the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, but there was nothing sick about this pitch. <laughs> He came out before the Yankees and Nationals game and threw a pitch that ended up about 10, 12 feet to the left of the catcher. Didn't even make the 45-foot line. I've got to say, Stu, still wasn't as bad as 50 Cent. No, it was. uh, that was pretty bad. I was surprised that 50 Cent was so bad. You would expect him to have a decent arm on him, but... Well, it would have been pretty emasculating for a gangster rapper to produce. You've got to go... People, look it up. It is terrible. It is. It It is is terrible. Um, One of the cool things, though, I did notice was it it lit social media up. There have been some classic tweets like, Fauci social distancing his first pitch, and he'll say he was trying to throw a flattened (laughs) curveball. That's cool. So there's some really great ones. The internet does not miss. Uh, Donald Trump's actually the next big name set to throw out a first pitch on the 15th of August. And from what I've seen, he looks like he might fare a little bit better from some of the the videos out there. I don't know, man. He needed two hands to pull that cup up to his mouth and he couldn't walk down that ramp very well. So we'll see. And he does have small hands. So (laughs) there is that. And then finally, Shui, in boxing news, Mike Tyson will be facing Roy Jones Jr. later this year. Uh, He has significant size and weight over him, but Roy Jones Jr. was a very good boxer in his time, so that's an interesting one. It should be an interesting one, and it's an absolutely perfect segue into... And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? So back in the late 1980s, when Tyson was in his early 20s, he was one of the scariest guys on the planet. Hell, at 53, he still is. But yeah, I watched some footage from his early fights just today, and he was so quick and powerful. It was oh, it was so scary. Anyways, he was on a romantic night out with his then-wife, Robin Gibbons, and bribed a zookeeper to keep the zoo open just for them so that they could enjoy a private stroll around with the animals. Oh, that sounds romantic. It is. But when they approached the ape enclosure, Tyson noticed one of the alpha males bullying the rest of the group and had an idea. <laughs> He then proceeded to offer the zookeeper the equivalent of 14000 Australian dollars to, quote, open the cage and let me smash that silverback snot box. You mean, can you please open the cage and let me smash that <laughs> snot box? <laughs> 
the zookeeper declined. Thank goodness one of them had some sense, but it actually reminded me of some of the other mismatched animal versus human fights. We've got that Aussie bloke, uh, Greg Tonkins, who delivered a vicious right hand to the face of a kangaroo that had his dog in a headlock. That's right, yep. There's the time a Canadian guy beat the living daylights out of a cougar as it attacked his dog outside of Tim Hortons. Or the time a guy in Florida punched a nine-foot gator in the eye for trying to eat his dog. I think the lesson here is don't get a dog. <laughs> but I guess for wanting to go face-to-face with a silverback gorilla, and keep in mind that adult males, for the record, average about six feet tall and 400 pounds, Mike Tyson well and truly earns this week's bloody hell. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. It's Christmas in July. Who's been naughty and who has been nice? We want presents. Well, Shui, our last Monday in July, we thought we'd have a bit of fun and do a bit of Christmas in July. So we'll, t- we'll do our naughty or nice list. And because we're nice, we'll give everyone presents, regardless of whether they've been naughty or nice themselves. Can we talk about the lump of coal thing quickly? What if you wanted a lump of coal for Christmas, but you were naughty? What do you get? Like a plush toy or something? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you get like Barbie's dream house. Who would, who would actually want a lump of coal? A really unsuccessful coal miner. <laughs> That's a good thought. Who's never yielded a return. That's a good thought. Finally won Christmas, but he happened to be naughty. That's a good point. Well, should we start off with the naughty list then, Nathan? I think that's a very good idea, Stewie. And I think almost all the way back where it started, not patient zero, Novak Djokovic. Yes, Serbian tennis champion Novak Djokovic for COVID crimes. COVID crimes. His present... A signed copy of the Black Eyed Peas, Ain't No Party Killed Nobody. Oh, it's appropriate. But I've just thought of another one, Stewie. Ooh, what else can we give him? I've, I, we did have that one on our list. And, and look, it's a great present. But I thought maybe we give him one of those machines that uh, Pete Evans was selling. That cures COVID-19. Oh, the $15,000 machines. The $15,000 machines <laughs> that cure COVID-19. Well, we'll give it to him, but he can pay for it. The, do you know the funny thing about that, though, is that first Pete Evans sold a machine that cured COVID-19. And now he's saying COVID-19 is a hoax. Maybe so which his, one is it, Pete? Maybe his machine's a hoax as well. Well, oh, oh perish the thought. Oh dear. Never. All right. Who's next, Nath? Well, it's someone we haven't talked about much as yet. And I, and I have said we haven't gone there maybe enough. I mean, I'm not a massive fan myself, but I know you know your stuff. Bryson DeChambeau has been a naughty boy, hasn't he, Stewie? Ah, uh, Bryson DeChambeau. Yes, he has been a naughty boy. He's he's had a few anger problems. One thing we noticed, though, is he likes to name all of his clubs. So we thought for his present, we would give him a name for his putter. Now, we hoped his names were good, but they weren't that funny, were They're they? They're not. Just They're, give a one or two. There's Gamma for his three iron because it's the third letter in the Greek alphabet. But yeah. we think his putter should be named Jack for Jack Nicholson in anger management. It only makes sense. It does. Because what was he doing? He was abusing people. Well, there's no fans there, are there? No, he was abusing cameramen and ah, all sorts of things. Of He's course. just a, a naughty boy. Yeah, it's okay. He we has... said they'd get presents. We didn't say they'd get good presents. This is true. Better... I mean, the Pete Evans machine. It's better than a lump on, of on one hand, you know. Just. Yeah, well, it's not a lump of coal. Just. Yes. Who we got next, Joey? We've got Collingwood President Eddie Maguire for. What? What could he have possibly done wrong? Uh, Ever. Gee, let me think. Hypocrisy, conflict of interest, oh, no. etc., etc. Never. His present. A weekend away with Carolyn Wilson. <laughs> oh, Stewie. On that line, who's next? Well, let's stick on theme. The entire Collingwood Magpie team. Ooh. They were not repairing their divots at Joodalup Resort. Sacrilege. Yes, yes. We were talking about golf just a moment ago. They were, were having kick to kick on the greens. 
On the greens. Oh, that's There's not... plenty of places on a golf course you can have a kick, surely. That is not cool. I mean, I know, I mean, they need flat ground, but... That is naughty. What Repair you, your what divots. Are, what are we giving them? Uh, a, a link to the Flash game Lee Carvello's putting challenge. Yes, they can learn the value of greens. I actually feel like that's a present you give to a nice person rather than a naughty person. I mean, maybe we should have thought about that a bit better. Well, it is free. Well, yeah, true. That's true. Who we got next, Joey? We've got Southeast Melbourne swingman Mitch Creek for COVID crimes. Oh yes, once again. He's a, a COVID denier, is he not? Well, he's done the old. I mean, it's it's pretty late stage now to be posting the old, you know, oh, the flu kills more people kind of stuff. Like, you know, apparently I heard the other day that Rudy Gobert still can't taste, and he got it three months ago. There are people getting blood clots, you know, not to mention death. You know, well, we try and keep it cheery. Yeah, but Mitch Creek can have a tinfoil hat. He can. That's his present, a tinfoil hat. It's very appropriate. Very appropriate. Speaking of Rudy Gobert, I believe yes, he's next. Yes, let's, let's finish our naughty segment with Rudy Gobert. What should his present be? Oh, I know. A four-year contract with the New York Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> At veterans minimum. Yes. Now, we've got a little bit of a hybrid section here. The naughty and nice. That's right. We do have a naughty and nice. We just have one participant, though, Nate. Who is it? Riley O'Brien. Adelaide Crows Ruckman, Riley O'Brien. He was naughty for letting his notes slip when he was talking about Nick Nanui being lazy and unfit. However, he was nice by not saying it was a hack. Because that's the go-to. It was hacked. It was a hack. No, just you're a hack, Riley. No, that's a bit unfair. Well, it was too easy. Low-hanging fruit. This whole segment is low-hanging fruit. Well, he's already actually got his present. He got a non-explosive Samsung phone from old Saint Nick Natanui. Old Saint Nick Natanui. Very nice, Joey. Very nice. Oh, dear. Speaking of nice, first of all, I will be serious for a second. Two people who have been very nice. Dan, thank you very much for the music and the artwork. You've done a tremendous job. Thank you for making us look skinny and not having guts. <laughs> uh, and the, the kangaroo was our... You know, our idea to be as cliche as possible, wasn't it? So yeah. don't blame Dan for the kangaroo. He did a good job drawing it, but it wasn't his idea. And also Lindsay for lending her voice to the wraparound on, on some segments. Two very nice people. And and she thinks you were naughty, Stewie, for following up the great Leeds news after all those years with, you know, banging on about Arsenal and Chelsea. Well, hopefully I'll get a lump of coal because I've been, <laughs> been after one all year. What's the idea? Like, yeah. It is, has been cold here. Yeah. Uh, that happens in winter. This is true. This is true. Sometimes. You'll be surprised with my first nice, Yes. Chewy. So who do, who's your first nice? LeBron James. Oh, LeBron. He could have almost single-handedly saved the season. Because let's face it, if he hadn't have said, I'm coming back, let's play. And initially he said, if there's no fans, I'm not playing. If he hadn't have done that, the NBA might not be going ahead. So what's his present then? Is it J.R. Smith? <laughs> well... He's not in the naughty section, Stewie. He's so in the yeah, nice something, section. Something a little bit nicer. Well, then. maybe a championship. Yeah, well, quite possible. Who next, Stewie? Uh, I don't like them being in the nice pile, but we'll go. We'll give the AFL on. Oh, yeah, we're going to move them to the naughty pile, weren't we? We forgot well, we'll, about that. We'll, we'll keep them in nice just because of their fancy shorts and shirts that they Well, wear. again, you know, in these strange times, if certain people don't agree to come back, it's very hard to run. This is true. So I'm trying. I'm drawing at straws here a little bit because they could get them from state leagues. Or but we're going to give them an extra special present: a 15 meter tape measure. A 15, or one of those wheelie things that clicks after every meter that you used to walk around the oval or the or the basketball court. Ah, the clicker meter. The the click machines. We don't know what they're called, but yes, I mean I I have banged on. I will bang on. I'll continue to bang on about the inconsistent 15 meter marks. 
Well, in you the know. words of those umpires, Nath, play on. Who we got next, Drew? West Indian off-break bowler Raheem Cornwall. Oh, yes. For giving oh, West yes. Indian fans a new cult hero and showing that anyone can play professional cricket. Even a six foot six, what, 300 kilo off spinner. I don't know if he's quite that big. He's a 140-odd, but, <laughs> but he's, he's, a, he's a big unit. So I think his presence should be a century and a naked handshake from Michael Vaughan. Oh, do tell. Well, Vaughan, actually said at one point, if he makes a century, I'll go out and break COVID uh, regulations and give him a handshake in the nude. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. Maybe it'll happen in the second innings. Oh, I like it, yes. Well, I mean, I don't like the Michael Vaughan thing. But no, I, yeah. but I, but I like your premise. I think it would be it'd be fantastic if he had to do it. And and on streak account, you've given me an in here. That bloke in Perth raised what three hundred and eighty bucks or something. Uh, I haven't checked in the last couple of days, but he wasn't doing so great. So who are we finishing off with? Well, it's another surprising one in many ways, Stewie. But Nick Kyrgios has been very nice. He has been very nice. <laughs> but he is giving out good COVID care. He's being he's being a COVID carer. He is. So what should we give him? Just by ragging on the players who weren't. <laughs> well, we, we don't know how much care he's actually taking. True. But the, uh, the Twitter rags are uh, enjoyable from a well, He's line. been nice to the fans anyway. He has been nice else. So what, what do we give him for a present, Stu? Maybe an easy draw at the US Open? Sure. Let's see what he does with that. <laughs> Let's take care of that thing as we have control over it. Jerry. Well, hey, we're giving championships out, you know. <laughs> You're giving away weekends with Carolyn Wilson. This is so. true, and $15,000 COVID machines. <laughs> well, so. That's completely serious. This is this is serious. This whole segment has been serious. Merry Christmas, Joey. Merry Christmas in July, no. <laughs> I want presents. All right, Joey, quick little uh, NBL roundup before we get into the NBA. A legend has retired from the game. Yes, Perth Wildcats' Damien Martin has officially called it time. The best defensive player in the history of the league, in my opinion. I'm obviously, yeah, we're Perth we're Wildcats biased, fans. Yes. We are, we are biased, but... <laughs> we're not the only ones to hold this view, though. Well, no, the Defensive Player of the Year trophy is actually now being called the Damien Martin Trophy, which is a really nice touch by the league. Um, and in a league where if you look at the history of the defensive players, guys like Phil Smythe, Terry Dozier, Darren Lucas... Darnell Mee, Daryl McDonald, Simon Dwight. It's a huge honour. Really, Absolutely it is. And there were so many... It was great to see Twitter, all the tributes flowing through from all the greats of the game. Several said, name the trophy after him now, and they did. Mm, Quick response by the league. Yeah, that's a smart response. I mean, a six-time Defensive Player of the Year recipient, it's a a record. Six-time champion, that's an equal record with three players. Can you name them? All right. Well, at least one would have to be one of his teammates. Um... I'll say Jesse Wagstaff. Correct. Um, I'm going to have a crack at another ex-teammate. Greg Heyer? No, I think he had five. Ah, okay. Oh, well, Greg would have missed the last one, obviously. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Here's where it gets a little tricky. Now, there was another former Wildcat who had a very, very successful career with a number of teams. He didn't win one with us. CJ Bruton. CJ Bruton is correct. Nice. Yep. Okay. Uh, Who have we the th- got The left? third guy is a little rigid, you could say. A little rigid. David Stiff. David Stiff. He did. <laughs> uh, he did win. Th- he won six with Adelaide, Sydney, and Melbourne. He so, holds some records about fouling too. He, like, he would do. Yeah. Yeah. He, like he was quickest foul out. Always fouling. I think probably. there was a season where he had 
like he averaged nearly 6,000 a game. Oh, wouldn't surprise <laughs> me. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but he was a winner. He was a winner. So going back to Damo, speaking of winning, 2016 NBL Finals MVP. That was a great year. That And, and that embodies... I know I bang on it about a little bit. Stats aren't everything. Damo to me, and that season to me, that grand final series to me, embodies the stats don't mean everything. Because can you think of a player who could finish with maybe three assists, two rebounds, two steals, four points, and still be the best player on the floor? Uh, he had that much of an impact on a game. Me when I play, but you know, <laughs> but I'm probably biased. You always there, scored but... more than that, Stuart. No, very rarely. <laughs> very rarely. But he really, he really, he could impact a game without padding the stat sheet he because really he was could. such a, a dogged defender. He seemed to make clutch shots, even though he might be missing the whole game, and then he'd hit a clutch shot, or guys would leave him open. Yep. He'd take it to the rack, you know, at an opportune time. He'd throw the right pass. Just one of my favourite players of all time, mm. and I think that. Probably injuries probably uh, is the reason why he's called it. I think he could have gone for another year or two if he hadn't had that injury, uh, the injury woes. Yeah. Uh, but hey, you know, what a career. Yeah. In that 2015-16 series, the way he held C- Cedric Jackson is what gave him the finals MVP. He was absolutely magnificent. In in a kind of rivalry where they had our number, like it was pretty pretty good, but they did have our number. He was absolutely amazing in that series. And we actually held them to 52 points in Game 3. So mm. he was absolutely instrumental in that victory. And what a career. It's almost like the Andre Iguodala Finals MVP when he won that one with the with the Warriors. Yep, where, stats aren't everything. Where he didn't do everything, but he shut LeBron down to an extent. So um, just quickly rounding out Damo's resume as well. 2011 All-NBL first team player and multiple second and third teams, I think, from memory. So he was absolutely the heart and soul of the Wildcats for much of his 11 years in the West. Honestly, for me, I, I just wish him, Brittany, and the girls all the best for their next chapter in their lives. And I wanted to pose a question to you, Nate, without any notice. Would he start for your all-time Perth Wildcats team? Oh, wow. Um, wow. I mean, he'd be on well, the... Well, that, that the means t- that one of Grace or Cotton misses out. That's a pretty it's tough. hard. It's tough, isn't that's it? That's a pretty hard proposition. He, so. may, he may be captains the team from the bench, perhaps. But well, I'll tell you what. If our all-time team's only allowed two imports, maybe he starts. True. Um, wow. Yeah, that's 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 a really tough question. But hey, I mean, those defensive champion, you know, defensive player of the year awards. Yeah, absolute joy to watch. Always had a smile on his face. If he hadn't got injured a couple of times, I think he might have had even more championships. He was unfortunately injured in some playoff runs. Uh, in fact, you talked about Conklin uh, uh, destroying oh, yes. his face the, the one year. Dodgy elbow, yeah. Um, and, and the other story, it literally just came to my mind. I didn't actually prepare for this. But um, I don't know if you remember. I think it was, was it last year or the year before? They were talking during a game. Apparently one day he went out to get fish and chips for dinner. Stumbled upon some house that was on fire. Oh, yeah. Went into the house, like helped the lady and her pet or family or something. Yep. Came home with the fish and chips. Didn't even tell his wife. Oh, like, oh, you know, oh, sorry, I was a bit, uh, I was a little bit longer than you, you might have thought. I had to save someone from a burning building. Hmm. Like, that's the sort of guy he was. He didn't even tell his wife about this amazing act that he, he took, did. He took the blame for the fish and chips being cold. <laughs> what a guy. That's yeah, rough. soggy, yeah. yeah that's rough. <laughs> what anyway, a we'd, we'd better move on. But while we're on the topic of the Perth Wildcats, I believe the Wildcats are up for sale, Nath. 
Yes, it's true, Stewie. There's no news yet on who will be purchasing them, but news broke late last, or mid to late last week, that uh, Jack Bennett has decided to put the Wildcats up for sale. Um, he's very old, but I just wanted to, to kind of take this opportunity to say how important he was in the history of, of the Wildcats and of the league, because he saved... He, the Wildcats might have folded mm. uh, if he hadn't bought the team when he did. Uh, and obviously ushered through a very successful period with a lot of championships, a lot of good players, playing in front of 13,000-plus uh, fans at Perth Arena. Really important owner. I think I think Vlahov might have sold the team to him when Vlahov got it from he, Longley. Yeah, I think he did, actually. Um, but yeah, so so thank you, Jack. Yes. Uh, hopefully the next owner is just as good. I'll echo that sentiment. Major, major thank you. And then, Shui, quickly some uh, NBL free agent signings. Yeah, not anywhere near as big a week this week as last week, but uh, there's still some things happening. So the Adelaide 36 has signed Sunday Detch from the Hawks. A former uh, Cat. A, not, yeah, former Wildcat. Not a not a bad pickup at all, actually. Oh, yeah, he's improved every season. Quite a, quite a handy pickup. Yeah, no, good pickup. Not such good news for the Cairns Taipans. There's nothing official yet, but there is word that the likes of Bayern Munich, Maccabi Tel Aviv, and Olympiakos in Europe that are all circling like sharks wanting to throw big money at Cam Oliver. You'd have to think the only thing that would stop him would be fear of COVID-19. Potentially. Uh, this would be absolutely devastating for a franchise that's... They're not on their knees, but they're going through some really tough times right now. Obviously, we spoke previous weeks about the stadium issues, and it's yeah, it's not looking great. If, well, it'd be if bad news for the league too, so hopefully they can keep him. True. Uh, moving on to the Illawarra Hawks, they're actually starting to look like a legitimate threat now after the week they've had. So The Hawks, Stewie. The, the Hawks, sorry. I mean, it's going to take a while to get rid of the Illawarra part, but they the re-signed... Yeah, well, Wollongong, <laughs> that's true, yeah. But they re-signed Dan Greeter, they re-signed Sam Froling, so that shores up their bench quite well. They picked up young Aussie Isaac White, who has been at Stanford for the last three years. He was nearly a 41% three-point shooter last season. So he gives them some really needed outside shooting. The Colangelo effect continues. It could be, yes, the Colangelo effect. Colangelo-Gorgian effect. Yeah, well, exactly right. They're um, no, very, very true. They also had a really big pickup, though. Probably the, the pickup of the, the period so far, signing Dang Adele from the Long Island Nets of the G League. So we could actually see some games that go Dang, Dang, Dang Adele. Yes. A lot of dings, <laughs> a lot of dings on the Hawks. So, look, he's an elite scorer, good size, he's about 6'7", really good range as well. Excellent finisher around the rim. He wants to be the number one option on a team, so that's what he'll be with the Hawks. Oh, they'll be much improved. They'd, they'd have to find them top four, surely. You'd think so. Melbourne United, they re-signed David Barlow. They also signed a guy named Mason Peatling from Dandenong, who will be a development player for the first year of his three years. They're actually looking at former Wildcat and Kings big man Angus Brandt, who looks, be to be, great yeah, looks to be coming back from Italy. Um, it was discussed on the NBL free agency market watch segment, and Liam Santamaria rightly pointed out, imports are expensive. They're not something that every team will have the money for. So if Brandt goes there, Melbourne might join the likes of Brisbane or Adelaide with only one import. So, well, often big struggle. Big imports often struggle in Australia to acclimatise. Sometimes they take half a season. Sometimes they never acclimatise. Yeah. So he might not only be cheaper, but he might be better than many import options anyway. So that's a great pickup. True. We yeah. would have loved to have had him back. Well, that's it. I mean, he knows the market well. So um, so that also means that Melo Trimble, Sean Long and Casey Prathan might all of a sudden be completely freed up. And I know as a Wildcats fan, we would love to have Prather back or we'd take Sean Long. Oh, absolutely. Well, so. well, I think we need a big. So I'd probably actually choose Long if I had a choice out of those two but she should be happy with either. You would. 
And then South East Melbourne Phoenix just rounded out. Dane Pino re-signed, uh, which is a good thing because they lost Dan Trist to the Breakers last week. And they also signed Ruben Tarangi from the Brisbane Bullets. So Good little pickup. Good, good pickup from them, definitely. Um, well, he'll basically slip into where Ty Wesley was last yes, year. Yes. So perfect <laughs> replacement, really. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that was the week that was. So let's get into the NBA, Stewie. How excited are you? Oh, super excited. As I said before, didn't really get to see a whole lot of it last week or this week, but some of the stuff that I did see, and I'm sure everyone's talking about it, it's hard not to be excited about Bol Bol. <laughs> well, let's 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 look at some news quickly first before we get to him. Yeah, uh, he has made a lot of news himself. Uh, Glenn Taylor's reportedly selling the Timberwolves. He bought it for eighty-eight million dollars in nineteen ninety-five. Asking price now one point two five billion dollars. I will get them. We'll KG them. wants in, Stewie, to we'll, his old team. We'll go halvesies with him there. <laughs> Chip so, in. Sounds good. No, look, it would be amazing having a team owner that is a player with that much passion, but. I just can't see it personally. I mean, Garnett, he only made $326 million over his career, so he's a long way short of the $1.25 billion, but maybe somebody wants to go in with him. Who knows? Well, it would have to be some sort of conglomerate, but it's it's great to see ex-players as owners, so that, that would be an interesting story. But yes, you'd have to think that there might be a syndicate that has more money. Bulls rookie Dan Gafford called out head coach Jim Boylan by saying he was all right, but he doesn't like him a lot while playing a game live on Twitch. Whoops. <laughs> He's honestly lucky the ball season's over. But And this is a guy who was averaging 14 minutes a game. Not sure if he'll average that <laughs> moving forward. Look, Boylan to me strikes me as a coach who probably doesn't resonate with a young core that well. They, they probably need to pay a proven winner to come in. Someone like a Mark Jackson, for example. But they need someone like that to get them to the next level. But you don't talk smack about your coach. Well, yeah, especially when you're a rookie. Exactly. I mean, Jesus, a new world we're living in. Well, what, what he basically said was, I don't like him a lot. But he okay. Got some things he can work on. Got some things he can get better at as a person and as a coach. Not going to hate on him. Not going to hate the man. That's like the equivalent of... Well, it's basically the equivalent of saying, I'm not trying to be racist, but... And then finally, uh, reportedly, the Jordan Jumpman logo will be on all NBA jerseys. Well, this is something that I didn't see until the last few minutes when you pointed it out to me. That's a it's very interesting considering well, that Jordan's an owner. Well, that that okay, that's great. Because I was going to say, what's the first thing that came to your mind? That's really interesting that you went there. Mm. Because a lot of the talk I hear and a lot of things I've been reading has been about how would LeBron feel with the Jordan logo on his jersey. Exactly. Yep. Um... And guys that are signed to contracts with other shoe companies. Yeah, yeah. There's but a lot of that. The, the one, the one, the, the immediate thing that came to my mind is, poor Portland. Oh. Do you need to be reminded? <laughs> Do you need to see that silhouette oh. on your jerseys? You know, there's no Sam Bowie uh, uh, silhouettes on any jerseys. Well, it would just be a guy lying down with a... <laughs> Holding his a, knee. A full, a, full, a full cast on his leg. <laughs> It would also be bad for the Houston Rockets because remember that they, they were actually a chance. Yeah, missed, but they, Hakeem had a pretty good career. No, but they missed a trade that could have got them Jordan and, and Drexler Oh, that's as true. Well I forgot about that. For like that's Ralph true. Sampson and a sandwich or something. That's true. That's so true. So there's a couple of teams that wouldn't particularly like to be reminded of that. But yeah, that's very interesting. So it seems like no better time than to call the awards. I don't think they're going to announce them till much later, but it makes sense that they would only apply to pre-shutdown. Start with MVP, Shuey. You can't really go past Giannis. I'm often a firm believer in best player on the best team in cases where the race is tight. Bucks are 53 and 12. The Rockets are 40 and 24. Right below the Thunder, who most people, including myself, didn't even have making the playoffs. 
That being said, Harden will probably still feel like one of the biggest snubs in NBA history. He's averaging nearly 34.5 points a game, 6.5 rebounds, 7.5 assists, and 1.7 steals, just throw that in there. Whereas Giannis is under, he's got 29.6, 13.7, and 5.8, but he's doing it in under 31 minutes Exactly, I was going to say, that's that old stat thing, yeah. because Giannis was resting early because their margins for victory were so huge. Exactly. So you could actually argue that Giannis does more, generates more value. It actually wouldn't be close to the biggest snub ever, though. I actually did some research on this today. In 1961-62, Bill Russell won the MVP with averages of 18.9 points, 23.6 rebounds, and and 4.5 assists a game. Amazing numbers. A bloke who's not known to be a scorer, by the way. Exactly. (laughs) Wilt Chamberlain averaged 50.4, 25.7, and 2.4, and Oscar Robertson averaged a triple-double. Wow. So, you know, there's bigger snubs out there, but Harden will probably feel hard done by when he comes second here. I don't think triple doubles back then were probably had the prestige that they do now. I, I think, well, yeah, I don't, I don't know that for sure. It's hard but, to know, but, yeah. you know, it, it was unprecedented at the time, so, you know. And, and you'd almost have to have Harden third behind LeBron second. You don't think? <sighs> maybe, maybe not. I mean, you would argue that LeBron's had more help with Anthony Davis. True. But, uh, look, either way... I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're agreeing with, with Giannis. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, maybe I'm a Harden hater because he travels every time he touches the ball and he doesn't play defense. And he's not a winner. Well, that's pro- probably so, the only reason as well. Oh, well, a postseason winner anyway. No, exactly. He's won some regular season games. but. Yep. Uh... And then Defensive Player of the Year. Well, you can make a very strong case for Giannis here as well. And in that vein, only two players have ever won MVP and Defensive Player of the Year in the same season. Michael Jordan in 88 and Akeem Olajuwon in 94. Well, that, that award did only come in in 1983. You'd have to imagine that there would have been someone like a Bill Russell or someone down yes. that, of, of that sort of ilk that would have yes. probably won both. But, That's a very good point. But even so. That's a very good point. Uh, and then David Robinson and KG are the only other players to have won both the MVP and the Defensive Player of the Year. Across, did Duncan across never? No, Duncan never got it. Well, there you go. Ben Wallace was always in the way. Yeah, true. Okay. So. Yeah, but Wallace wasn't winning any any MVPs, no. of course. No. Um, but I guess Anthony Davis would have to be shortlisted here. Yeah, you could go with Bam Adebayo, Rudy Gobert, Ben Simmons. I mean, I, I went with Davis myself for a couple of reasons. I had Anthony Davis too, actually, yeah. Yeah, equal second in the league in blocks of two and a half a game, equal 15th in the league with one and a half steals a game. Probably just as importantly as those stats, though, the Lakers were 14th in the league in points allowed per 100 possessions last season. They're up to third this year. And of course, they're top seed in the West, and winning does help. Exactly. I mean, look, Dwight Howard's probably helping a little bit with that, but Davis is the main reason. Do you know he also leads the league in loose balls recovered? Yeah, good hustle player, so yeah. Very good hustle player. Yeah, but for a big guy, that is, that's a good step. Yeah, he's, just, he's such a great guy covering up defensive mistakes. Honestly, like he'll be every bit as important as LeBron in deciding who wins the championship this year. And plus, Giannis's whole team's great defensively. It's true. I mean, Bledsoe's an, an all-defensive first-team player. Brooke Lopez, I think, is second in the league in block shots. Yeah, no, Brooke Lopez has had a very good year defensively. So and, I was surprised to, to see some of his uh, impacts. Yeah, yeah, we've got some really, really good defensive players. So I think it has to be Davis for me. Most improved, I had Brandon Ingram. I know he was a high pick. This is this is one of the most interesting awards. Like, like, what are the what's the criteria? There's no there's no set you know criteria for how you're meant to judge this, and mm. people will judge it in different ways. No, it's it's very it's a different one. I mean, I, I was even looking at someone like Jason Tatum. Okay. Funnily enough, 
And again, it may not even be on stats. High, he was a high pick too. It, it may not even be on stats as much as the fact that it just it feels like he's come a long way. But, I mean, there's people making the argument for Luka Doncic, who has just gone to, you know, the top five player in the league sort of status. So it's interesting. Yeah, I this is one I, I'm still not even entirely sure that I believe what I've written down here. But, I, I yeah, I think Ingram might actually be not a bad choice. You had Ingram? No, I, well? no, I had Tatum, but I think... Tatum, I could, oh, sorry you said that. I could be very, very easily persuaded to... Yeah, to... I, tr- traditionally, I like to think of a guy who wasn't a high draft pick. Um, so, I don't know, it'll rack our brains. Uh, Wood for Detroit, maybe? Christian Wood, yeah. Um, I mean, you could go some other guys. Shea Gilgis-Alexander's probably... Uh, yeah, um, I, I did consider him, actually. You know, he's, yep. a, he's a borderline all-star right now. Um, you can make the argument for Bam Adebayo, who's yep. become an all-star this Very year. Very good point. You brought him up before, yep. And yep. again, right in the mix for Defensive Player of the yeah, Year. So yep. there's, there's a lot of guys. I mean, look, I'll go with Tatum, but with zero confidence. That's probably the only one I don't feel much confidence about at all. Well, let's go to the one that is the easy one. Rookie of the Year, Ja Morant. Yeah. Yeah, look, this would have been a fascinating race if Zion had played more than 19 games. You know, Zion's actually top in points, rebounds, well, top in rebounds for anyone playing more than one game. Sorry, Eric Micah. Uh, 10th in assists for, for rookies on 59% from the field, 46% from three. Wow. Small sample size. Yeah, that's eight. that's what lets him down, but the still, small sample. You cannot give the award to a no. bloke that's played less than a quarter of a season. Exactly. So Morant did it longer, even looks to have maybe dragged the Grizzlies into the playoffs. So, But it's such a shame. It would have been a really fascinating one. It would have. But hey, there'll be battles for years to come. They're in the same conference. So yep. two very exceptional players and the league's in good hands. It is. Uh, sixth man of the year. So... The kind of consensus team seems to be either Montrez Harrell or Dennis Schroeder. D. Schroeder for me. I yeah, mean, of okay. course. <laughs> look, look, no, no, it's, it, hey, it's, it's a good pick, he, even though you're a Thunder fan. He has been part of probably the most impressive trio. So when they go the small ball with Gilgis Alexander and Chris Paul, their lineup is one of the greatest, in, certainly in, in the league at the moment, but they, they are almost unbeatable. OKC has the best record in the league since Thanksgiving, and it's honestly through... Uh, uh, it's definitely a huge part of that is is that lineup. So I think Schroeder has been definitely a six man of the year. Harrell won't be too far behind, uh, and Lou Williams is probably up there as well. So it's... I guess Harrell maybe gets the nod because his team's far more successful, and if if winning is an important part of these awards, then he maybe gets the nod. Maybe I mean OKC is doing better than they were last year, so you could. Oh, they haven't been a bad team by no. any stretch of the imagination. They're in the playoffs. Uh, but uh, obviously the Clippers are stacked. And I want to do an honourable mention here to Derek Rose. Yep. Uh, he had that horrible... He was the MVP. He had that horrible knee injury. It looked like he'd never be the same again. Granted, it was for a team that didn't do very well and out of the playoffs, but he had 18 points a game and nearly six assists. So pretty good bounce back for him. I honestly thought he should have been an all-star this year. I really Well, you can make a case. Yeah. I really think he should have been. Anyway. And then finally, Coach of the Year. I find it very hard to go past Nick Nurse. Yes, that's exactly right. Toronto in second seed after losing arguably the greatest player in the league at the moment. Definitely top three. And Danny Green. And Danny Green as well. They've got, do you know, they've actually got an identical record through 64 games as last season as wow. well. Wow. That's great. So, so they lost Leonard and Green and picked up Rondé Hollis Jefferson. As an OKC fan, I really wanted to say Billy Donovan there. He's got so much flack for being a rubbish coach. 
but maybe all he needed was a break from Russell Westbrook. I think if there was a <laughs> if there was a coach of the year team, like whether maybe there was five of them and they were discussing this on the the Ringer podcast, you'd probably put him in there. But I, yeah, it's hard to go past the culture and leadership that Nick Nurse has brought to that team, and there's no reason they can't go close to repeating this year. And then an honourable mention for me is Nate McMillan because the Pacers in the playoff hunt and they were without Oladipo Victor Oladipo for, most, yeah. for a large chunk of the season. So he, he'd be up there for me too. Yep. Because with this award, again, what's your criteria? But for this award, I always like a guy that's maybe overachieved, taking a team that was either bad or injured to greater heights than everyone expected. Yep. You could make a, a case for Taylor Jenkins and the, the Grizzlies as well. He's Absolutely. been very, very good and yep. done well with a very young team. So, But no, I, I think you're right. I think you have to go Nick Nurse. It just it doesn't make sense for anyone else to win that one personally. So so we're less than a week away now for the restart. The, the scrimmage games have started. As you mentioned, Bol Bol had a big one. He was a, a talking point for many. He had 16 points, 10 rebounds, 6 blocks, in a monster lineup that uh, Denver fielded. Uh, he was, what, 44th pick, I believe? Uh, people are beginning to get a bit excited. I'm incredibly excited, and I was right from the start. He's a beast. You know, going back to your, your Jay Billis thing, he's got a 7'8 wingspan. So his ability to make up ground on players to block shots is just scary. If you look at his old man, so Manute Bowl, he was a lot taller, but he, he had an 8'6 wingspan. So he relied on length to block a lot of his shots, but... Bol Bol is about timing. It's about anticipation. He's more athletic. More, more athletic. Yeah. He's got a, a reasonable handle on him. He's got three-point range. He's less awkward running down the floor as yeah. well. He's more mobile. Yeah. He looks ready to go. Look, as I mentioned, I watch a lot of NBA 2K simulations. In a lot of them, Bol Bol is a perennial six-man of the year winner. Yeah, right. It's it's really interesting. And it's, that, it it yeah. is surprising he fell that far in the draft. Oh, it makes no sense to me, but... You know, this talk of this lineup, so Jokic, uh, Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, Bol Bol, and, and Mason Plumley. Jokic be... was basically playing point center. Yep. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I mean, he, he looks so much better than he did before. He's lost a stack of weight. I would love to see that go up against a Westbrook, Harden, Eric Gordon, uh, Covington, and, and PJ Tucker lineup. That would be fascinating seeing the small ball versus the big guys it sure would it sure would and I know it hasn't been an amazing year for the Spurs but we've got to mention Drew Mr. Eubanks Mr. Eubanks yep huge should we call him Eubang because he because uh, of the, the dunk that he put down over Thanasis uh, Antetokounmpo um, Janice's the, the, younger the brother the brother yeah yeah it was it was a lovely dunk it yes. was pretty big yes in a, in a blowout unfortunately but but good news, uh, so zero out of 346 players had tested positive uh, kind of in the lead-in to the scrimmage games. So that's tremendous news given, you know, what's happening in other sports. So the bubble seems to be working there. Uh, the funny news, the NBA issued a memo to remind players to dress appropriately when they receive room service. Oh, so we've had some of them answering in a, <laughs> in a towel or less. Yes, maybe. maybe oh, so. oh, dear. Oh, dear. Uh, but uh, we thought it might be fun to kind of Look at the players we're amped to see in the restart. Yeah, look, I asked you to name three. I've come up with my three. It'll be interesting to see sort of if we come up with some different players. I saw your list and I was like, damn, you've got two out of my three. So oh, I, had right. to, I had to scramble for more. <laughs> Fair enough. Look, Nikola Jokic is the first one. He's probably the one I'm most excited to see after the layoff. He was a guy I was actually worried about blowing out during everyone the was. break. Yep, everyone was. But he actually got COVID. And managed to lose 40 pounds and change his body entirely. So I'm really interested to see whether this changes his game. He may not be able to overpower people with sheer size alone. 
But also... But he'll I mean, run the floor better. Yeah, will, will it add agility to his game and allow him to run some point like we just spoke about? It should be fascinating. Uh, he was top of my list until I, re- yeah. until I saw yours. Absolute love. One of my favorite players in the league. I love a good pass more than a dunk in my old age. Uh, one of the best passers in the league. Definitely best passing center. One of the best passing centers of all time, if not the best. Can't wait to see a lean, mean Nikola Jokic. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. So moving on to Ben Simmons. I mean, he stacked on ridiculous muscle over the break. But he hit a three-pointer, so it's not all bad. He actually took two in a game. He took two and he hit one. So, so there was we talked about him looking stacked. It now makes sense because they're playing him at power forward. Yeah. So he beefed up to play power forward. Well, apparently Shake Milton's been really good for them. So they're going to have him playing the point. Ben will move to the four. It'll be interesting to see what his productivity is like away from the ball, whether I suppose it opens him up for a post-up option. Maybe he can try and play a, a little bit of a stretch four if he can start hitting threes consistently, opening up the lane for Joel Embiid. There's a lot of options with him. And obviously it doesn't mean that he won't run the point from time to time during the during the games. What I suspect is he'll run the point in the half-court offense quite often. But he's such a good finisher on the break. Mm. He's so good at getting out on the break. Yeah. Why worry about bringing it up when you can just get out there and you know hopefully get some cheapies? Because like, he does get a lot of his points from cheapies. Yep. Uh, so I think this is a good move. I think like LeBron in the half court, he'll probably play point forward a fair bit. But get him out in the open court as much as you can. Maybe get him screening a little bit more, a few little backdoor cuts. I, th- I think it's good. It's a good idea. But you know, having him in the dunker position as well, and a lot of people have talked about this, it's not a bad idea. He is a, a really great leaper, so he can finish a lot of putbacks. If he's coming off that, that short sort of dive, I guess, guys cutting to the basket, give him that little that little flip, he can dunk. He's, he's got options, and I think that's what's important. to. And it in. moves Horford to the bench, which could be actually a good move as well, because yeah. if he leads the bench brigade, that could be a nice little uh, move for them too when they spell Embiid. There's, there's a lot of people that have been saying, oh, you can't bench Horford, you've spent all this money on him. It's a sunk cost. You've already spent the money, you've committed to oh, him. Oh, he'll contract. still play 30 minutes a game. Exactly. It's all about winning. And it's about winning. I think that's important. I, I don't buy into that. Yeah. No, I don't either. They'll find minutes for him. Hmm. Now, rounding out my three was Chris Middleton from Milwaukee. So this is for a completely different reason, and I guess related to the fact that he said he hadn't actually touched a ball for two to three months in quarantine. So Do yeah. we believe that? Well... Giannis said he didn't practice, and then he's come out and said that he was lying and he was trying to get a competitive edge. Well, who knows? I mean, I guess... If, if it is true, you know, I heard a number of places echo what I was thinking. It's like, how serious is Giannis going to think the second option on his team is if he isn't working on his game? And how much does that increase the likelihood that Giannis leaves Milwaukee in 2021? Interesting. So, yeah. yeah. Or on the other hand, maybe he got together with Giannis and they said, let's both lie about how much we've practiced to try and uh, put people off. Mm. Well, we'll see one way or the other. We certainly will. Love that Bucks team. Love them. And by the way, we didn't mention George Hill for sixth man... Uh, but you could probably make a case for him too if he qualifies. I'm not sure if he played enough uh, games off the bench. bench. Oh, maybe not. With Middleton injured and stuff, but um, uh, yeah. No, good point, good point. So who were your three in the end? Well, originally they were Jokic and Simmons. Then I had to scramble, so my third was Yusuf Nurkic. Oh, yeah. So he hasn't played for over a calendar year, if I'm not mistaken, mm. but the stats with him and Lillard on the floor together and him, Lillard, and Zach Collins on the floor together are nuts. And Portland were on the bubble there to, to get that eighth seed. And so he could be the that little shot in the arm that they need to get them into that eighth seed and into the playoffs. 
Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting lineup. They could potentially have Lillard, McCollum, Skinny, Mello, because Carmelo Anthony yes. dropped a bunch of yep. weight. Yep. And then you could have Collins and Nurkic at the sort of the, the, the four and five, depending on how they want. I, I honestly think that Portland will be the eight seed. I think they'll they'll win through. They could very easily be almost as good as the team that was sort of in the Western Conference Finals last year. Well, and hey, a Portland LA first round is actually a pretty pretty good yeah, first you'd round matchup. Over that. Yeah, yeah, it would be a very very interesting one to keep an eye on. So, I think you might be right there on Portland. Yeah. Okay. Who else? Do you My have? second one was Joakim Noah. Yeah. Uh, always loved him. Like loved him out of college in those great Florida teams. Uh, I watched a lot of college ball back then. Um, again, a guy a, a bit like Damo in the sense that he might not always put up big numbers, but so important to his team. Uh, seems to make teams better. On a already stacked Clippers team, you know, I think will complement Harold quite well as another big. Uh, I I really I really like that signing for the Clippers. Yeah, it's it's a great one, and it really does shore up their bench. It's actually really, really easy to forget. Joakim Noah in the 2013-14 team was actually an All-NBA first-team player. Yeah, great defender, you know, great rebounder. I think he was top five in MVP voting. Very yeah. handy passer, very good player, great pickup, yeah. great pickup. So, no, I think that's a that's a really interesting one, almost like a little smoky. And then my last was Luka Doncic. Love watching him play. To be honest, I haven't seen a hell of a lot of him yet, so really look forward to to watching that Mavs team. And again, talking of first round matchups, they could easily be playing the Clippers in the first round. So that's that's a, a, a great potential matchup too. It's funny you mentioned that actually, because we're about to move into bold predictions. Oh? Well, my first bold prediction actually is the Mavericks knocking off the Clippers in seven in the first round. <laughs> so I can't see the Clippers having a decent matchup for Porzingis. And if he can get going... It's a team that could... that It might be a team they don't want to meet in that first round. Well, they've got some great shooting. You've got Doncic, you've got Seth Curry, you've got Tim Hardaway Jr., you've got Dorian Finney-Smith. These are all guys that can potentially get on fire and just knock off a team like the Clippers. They've got real versatile defenders as well who you know are quite long. They're, they're easy to switch. So I think the Mavs... And again, this is another one in these simulations with NBA 2K. The Mavericks get a long way into the playoffs in a lot of these simulations, so... Could be. I still can't believe how cheap they got Porzingis. Yeah. Like, oh, talk look. about a star falling into your lap. Great management by the Knicks. Oh, Woo. oh dear me. The other one I had as well, Jamal Crawford to go off for 40 in one game. Ah, recently signed Jamal Crawford. I yeah. like that, Stewie. I like that. Yeah, look, I mean, I don't think he's going to be amazing for them in every game, but, I mean, Brooklyn will need someone to score the ball. So there could be one game where he plays 30 minutes and... I mean, this could be the last season that he plays. So they may well just say to him, look, go out with a bang. You can play as long as you want. Take as many shots as you want. We're not going to make the playoffs anyway, so just go nuts. And he's one of those guys that when he heats up, he can go for he's 40 very easily. an absolute microwave like Vinnie Johnson. I only had one uh, one bold prediction myself. That is that the Bucks will get an extreme scare in the second round. So they've pretty much led pillar to post, but it's very possible they could be facing Philadelphia in the second round. I think they'll get an easy first-round matchup, probably against Orlando. Orlando, yeah. Uh, actually, it which may be a false sense of security. It'll probably be Brooklyn, actually, because Brooklyn are only half a game ahead of them. So Brooklyn have got no one. Well, exactly. So that, so either Brooklyn or Orlando, they'll get a really soft sweep, probably in the first mm-hmm. round. And then they could come up against a very good Philadelphia team in the four seed, potentially. 
It doesn't matter who it is. Even if it's not them, my bold prediction is that the Bucks get a scare in the second round. Well, I suppose it's Philly, Miami, or Indiana. I mean, if it's Miami, yeah, they could very easily run them very, very hard. So I, th- I think you probably make a pretty decent point there. I mean, it's not going to be all smooth sailing for the Bucks. I, I can't imagine that. So We could talk about this all night long. We could. But we must continue. We must move on. And now, this week in sport history. 21st of July, 1884, the first Test cricket match is played at Lords. On the 22nd of July in 1967, the Atlanta Braves established a Major League Baseball record for the number of pitches used in one innings, with five in the ninth innings of a 5-4 defeat to the St. Louis Cardinals. 25th of July, 1913, the Pittsburgh Pirates future Baseball Hall of Fame outfielder Max Carey scores five runs without a hit, reaching first base on an error and then being walked four times as the Bucks beat the Philadelphia Phillies 12-2. On the 26th of July 1956, well, the 26th to the 31st anyway, England cricket spin bowler Jim Laker takes nine for 37 in Australia's first innings in the fourth test at Manchester, the best return ever in test cricket, but then betted it in the second innings with 10 for 53. 19 wickets still remains the most wickets taken in a single test, too clear of fellow Englishman Sidney Barnes, and all done without ridiculous headbands. <laughs> I love a leggy too. 27th of July 1990, Tom Moody scores 100 off 36 balls in 26 minutes in a county cricket match. At the time, a first-class world record under contrived circumstances, as the side he was playing for, Warwickshire, had agreed with Glamorgan on a total that they would declare on in their second innings to try and set up a result. This week in sport history. We should move on to the AFL. We've had multiple fixture changes just in the week since we recorded last, but it seems that we're at this stage settled. The next four rounds will be played across 20 days in four states. Tasmania and the Northern Territory are now both out as well currently, with their governments being a bit more conservative, not wanting people to come in, so that's fair enough. They'll probably be back on by next week. Well, who knows later in the season, but that's how it is over the next few rounds at least. Yep. We'll have double headers on Wednesdays and Thursdays on occasion, or one Wednesday and two Thursdays on occasion. Yay! Wednesday yeah. double header. Oh, Woo! it's it's nuts, but they have to do what they have to do. So, and there's still that Melbourne Essendon game, by the way. They're going to have to sneak in somewhere as well. Mm. But we're going to get to a point where it's going to be very hard to decipher where one round finishes and the other round begins because they'll be back to back to back. So, footy feast. Any injuries this week, Shree? There's a few. Uh, North Melbourne and Carlton, we had a hamstring for Mitch McGovern. Sydney Hawthorne, Dane Rampey has a sore hand after a brilliant smother, I must say. It was magnificent. It was a very good smother. It was on the boundary there, yep. Uh, St Kilda, Port Adelaide, Seb Ross has a calf complaint. Todd Marshall has a thumb issue. Uh, Adelaide and Essendon, Brad Crouch and Tom Duday both did hamstrings and Jaden Laverde did an ankle. Uh, Brisbane, Melbourne, Daniel Rich did a hamstring fairly early. And speaking of early hamstrings, Fremantle, Geelong that just finished. Darcy Tucker had, did a hamstring in, I think, the first two or three minutes oh, of the yeah, game. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were fighting an uphill battle because so of it. So much the same as last week. Lots of hamstrings, lots of ankles. And with games every day for the next three weeks, we're only going to see more. Here they come. So our spotlight game in a rematch of round two, 1995, the Eagles handily beat Collingwood. <laughs> what? Sorry, the reason I went there is everyone was saying rematch of the 2018 Grand Final. Oh, yeah. Where do you draw the line on the rematch talk? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, the previous year, fair enough. Okay, you know, GWS and uh, Richmond, you know, that was a Grand Final rematch when they play each other. Yeah. How far back do we need to go with this rematch stuff? 1912. Oh, well, okay. Every game's a rematch. <laughs> no, exactly. It's, it's a good point. 
That's a good point. <laughs> 1995. Yeah, there's champagne football and then there's Don Perignon rose gold football. And certainly, for the Eagles at least, they served up Don Perignon in the second half of that game. Collingwood kind of got a jump early, a la the 2018 grand final. And it, it started looking like maybe another one or two might have put the, the game away early. But like 2018, the Eagles lifted late, went into quarter time, only down by 14. From there, the onslaught began. Josh Kelly started winning the ball through the midfield and looked like the player a lot of Eagles fans were happy to give up four picks for. On his birthday, too. On his birthday. And Nathan Buckley's birthday, too. Yeah, not a good present for Bucks. <laughs> Josh Kennedy, as you mentioned, leading strong, marking everything. Even the defense picked up. Um, and rather than bombing it long inside 50 to packs where we had minimal success early on, the Eagles started kicking it low. Kennedy, Oscar Allen, Jake Waterman, Jamie Cripps all taking marks on the lead. It was... Just so great to watch. There's a lot of stats to get through here, so I'll probably rattle them off fairly quickly. Um, but the hitouts were, were really even. It, it just kind of felt like a lot of the numbers didn't really mean anything in the game. So Collingwood actually won the inside 50s, 37-35, but West Coast won efficiency inside 50s, 74-46%. to Hitouts were only 28-27 West Coast way, but clearances went our way 32-24, to and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of meaningless stats, I guess. Well, the stat that matters is 18 goals, three. Exactly. So Kennedy, Kennedy. Kennedy, magnificent, seven goals straight. First time a player had kicked seven against the Pies since Jeremy Cameron in round 18, 2013, in a game that Collingwood won by 40. Wow. Um, West Coast at one stage kicked 17 of 18 goals, a run only broken by a goal from a holding the ball decision after a not 15 that looked about 20. One of your, <laughs> your favourites there. Oh, dear. But as a whole, set shots 20 goals straight for the match across both teams. That has to be a record. That's incredible. Sure. In a year that the goal kicking's been poor, that is quite astonishing. Exactly. And 18 goals three, so 21 scoring shots from just 35 inside 50s as well. Um, West Coast kicked the highest score of any team this year, and it's actually the first time Collingwood have conceded 100 points since round 19 of 2018. So it's been a, a, about a season and a half since they've conceded 100. Um, obviously got to mention that Collingwood were below their best and missing a lot of key players. Still side bottom, still suspended. Pendlebury pulled up lame minutes before bounce down um, with a quad that'll probably keep him out for four weeks. To go, he's done for the season. To go, he's done for the season. Well, most of it anyway. Jeremy Howe's done. Will Kelly, Tom Langdon, Ben Reid. They're actually getting close to the Swans in terms of injuries. Yeah, no, they are. Not yep. too far off. Yep. No, you caught them at a good time. We did. Um, Collingwood actually lost 28 percentage points from that game and dropped from 3rd to 7th. And the Eagles jettisoned from 8th to 4th. However, they've dropped down to 5th now because of Geelong. Um, Collingwood now play four games in the next 14 days across Perth, Brisbane, Adelaide, and then back to Brisbane. So could be tough times ahead for the Pies all of a sudden. So their roller coaster continues. Yeah, well, like I keep saying, good to bank those wins early. And a lot of people will be happy that uh, the Pies are racking up the frequent flyer miles a little bit. Definitely. And for us, as, as an Eagles fan, we've got winnable games against Geelong, then a bye, and then Carlton and Hawthorne at home. So we could very easily end up getting three wins from that, even with Elliot Yo suspended for next week. But look, just an amazing game. This is the sort of football that I think a lot of West Coast fans were expecting from the Eagles when they got Kelly, and when Natanui came back. All right, so we'll smash through the other games. Uh, our Thursday night fixture, and this was high on my list of what did you miss? I, I wish I saw this one, but it wasn't on free-to-air. The Dogs 7-9-51 defeated the Suns 6-10-46. Yeah, valiant effort from the Suns, but good sides find ways to win these sorts of games, and the Dogs all of a sudden have won five from six. You have to say Caleb Daniel was outstanding on a day where most players struggled in the wet. 25 touches at 84% efficiency. Had a good season. 484 metres gained. The Giants 9862 defeated the Tigers 50 on Friday night. Two words, Toby Green. Honestly, I don't think you need to say too much more than that, but Green, best on ground by some margin. 18 touches, 8 marks, 
five goals straight with seven score involvements. He just he stood up when the game was there to be won, and he didn't kick anyone in the face. <laughs> Richmond six goals fourteen there. I neglected to mention. Yes, very true, very true. And and look, good revenge on the, uh, the on last year's grand final. And in a round that actually had a lot of close games, the Blues 9-10-64 defeated North 9-3-57. North weren't so inaccurate this week, but they didn't kick enough. Yeah, I don't really want to give this game too much time at all. It wasn't an amazing game, but I will ask, did you see the free kick at three-quarter time from Jasper Pittard on Mark Murphy? Jason Dunstall talked about fake aggression from the Roos, like they're trying to force themselves back into the season, but it's up there with Joel Selwood for dive of the season from Mark Murphy. I would have fined him personally. Ah, well... Yeah. It was pretty average. My goal, 660. The Swans in the winner's circle again Yay. over the Hawks. You got one. Now, look, all down to Tom Papley in this one. Four goals, two in a low-scoring game. The only multiple goal kicker in the game as well, actually. He uh, proved pivotal. Um, and Jake Lloyd continues to grow before our eyes with 34 touches and seven marks. Two things of interest for me. Um, talking about the Tom Papley double goal where Papley well, was Well, I was going to say when you in, mentioned it, yeah. Yeah, he, he had two by, goals in yeah, one second. In, in a second, but Alistair Clarkson said, he milks a free kick as good as anyone in the competition and he did so again on this occasion. To which John Longmire replied, don't talk about opposition players at clubs. Thoughts? Well, we went here last week, didn't we? Uh, oh, look, it's sour grapes. I don't, I, I, you know, he's an agitator. He's not Toby Green level agitator, I don't think. I think, he, I think he's the new Toby Green. Well, well, he doesn't kick players. We'll see. Let's see in the coming uh, weeks. He's not kicking blokes in the head. But he's, an, he's a pest. Uh, he is a pest, yeah. No, but I'll tell you what. You know, We just talked about the Carlton game. He nearly went to Carlton. Can mm. you imagine how good they'd be with him in their team? Imagine how much higher his price tag would be now as Oof, well. Yeah. Yep. So, and did Burgoyne deserve a week for his tackle on Robottom? Well, he's, he certainly had a knack for these sling tackles, and it's not a good look, is it? Well, considering so, the precedent from the previous well, couple of weeks ago. I probably wouldn't, but yeah, he needs to be careful. Well, you look in, in soccer, for example, you can get players being sent off for an accumulation of fouls. I wonder whether a suspension for an accumulation of average tackles could potentially be something. They'll anyway. be keeping their eye on that one. Mm. Uh, the Saints had a massive win in Port, 12 goals, 1. 73, yes, that's right. They only kicked one behind uh, over the Port Adelaide Power, six goals, eight forty-four. The game was in the balance at three-quarter time, and then they just blew it open in the fourth. Very entertaining game of footy. Yeah, all of a sudden, Port looked beatable, and these Saints have well and truly developed that winning culture that we spoke about earlier on in, in a, a few episodes ago. That Tim Embry goal. Oh, absolutely brilliant. Nuts. Absolutely brilliant. I, I called it right from the second it happened. I, I was yelling out for a score review. I knew it was a goal. Um, you'd have to actually almost say, though, that Brett Ratton would be an early candidate for Coach of the Year. Oh, absolutely. I always thought he was very hard done by in Carlton. From memory, wasn't he pushed out for Mick? For Mick Malthouse? Yeah, that was... That didn't go so well no, in the end. I, I'm a big fan of Rats. Uh, good yeah. on him. I'm glad he's landed on his feet. Yeah, definitely. And the Saints, having not won at Adelaide Oval since its inception in the AFL in 2011, have now won against both Adelaide teams in the span of five days. Wow. Well, almost unprecedented accuracy from the Saints, 12-1. They actually kicked 49 goals, 23 the previous four rounds as well. So St Kilda are now the most accurate side in the league. And they're also the highest scoring since the restart. The game was in the balance right through the fourth quarter. Unfortunately, though, Justin Westhoff's uh, turnover that allowed Dan Butler to kick a goal and take the lead from 5-11. to Very uncharacteristic. It was. It almost looked like he wasn't ready to be in the back line, though. They kind of forced him back there this week. But look, Paddy Ryder dominated the Rucks. Ton of great performances from the Saints, but I will highlight backup Ruckman Rowan Marshall, 
15 touches, 5 tackles, 7 clearances, 11 hitouts, 2 goals, and 7 score involvements. Just brilliant. The Crows still can't get in the winner's circle, falling just short to the Bombers, 9-8-62 to 8-11-59. So close for Matty Nix to that first win. One goal, six in the fourth quarter, though, when the game was to be won. Just that's the difference. I honestly thought Tex Walker was going to win it for them in their closing seconds, but amazingly, he hand-passed from 40 out instead of taking the shot. Uh, Zach Merritt, 33 touches, nine marks, six tackles, and six clearances, best on ground. Um, how was Connor McKenna's solo, though? Very nice. My question is, if he didn't keep bouncing and he kept running, would he get pinged for running too far? I think so. I don't think it officially counts. It was just something I believe that he did without even thinking. Probably natural, yeah. You're probably right. And how about the double report with Matt Crouch and Jacob Townsend bumping heads? Oh, that's madness. Ridiculous. Bumping is all it was. It wasn't headbutts, it was bumping. It was ridiculous. Absolute madness. Another close one up at the Gabba. The Lions, 7-11-53, defeated the D, 7-7-49. Bit of controversy on the goal line again late. Yeah, the big talking point is the BS score review that denied Melbourne a chance to run it up the wing with an overlap. They with had, open players. They had Nathan Jones open. They, they, I think they got it wrong. I really do. The goal umpire is there. If he's not sure, he goes to the review. But it's about situational awareness. And I, and I heard somebody, I think it was David King talking about, it's a four-point game. It does not matter. That score review is inconsequential because if it's a behind, it's a five-point game. They still need a goal. So... There's absolutely no need for it. But look, a real lucky escape for the Lions. It was horrible to see that 50-meter penalty against Bailey Fritch in the last minute. But Melbourne showed they're well and truly on the right path. They could still make some noise in October or whenever the finals end up. Um, Lockie Neal was brilliant again, as was Jared Lyons, Hugh McLuggage, and Charlie Cameron. It's basically Control-C and Control-V from every week with Brisbane. So, <laughs> uh, But yeah, Clayton Oliver, Christian Petrarca, Jack Viney continue to lead this resurgent for the Ds. And Max Gorn, unbeatable all day in the ruck. Neither team accurate, but for example, Jake Wiedemann for the D's had three shots on goal for two behinds. Not a great mm, uh, return that there. Is, that isn't great. And spe- speaking of what-ifs as well, how big a fly was that from Cam Rayner? It's almost Sean Smith-like. And then finally, as I mentioned at the top, we did watch the game. A very average one indeed uh, here in Perth. Monday night fixture. Geelong, six goals, 12-48. Defeat of the Dockers, two goals, 4-16. We don't need to go too much into this. Absolute slog in driving rain. Ball skills were down. Tackling was up. Cam Guthrie was amazing with 30 touches, 6 tackles, 8 clearances. And we saw Patrick Dangerfield set what could be a record with two clear underpants flashes from tackles. (laughs) But look, it's hard when you lose a rotation player in the first couple of minutes of the game, much less in driving rain where everything is heavy. So, yeah, look, good news for Fremantle. They avoided their lowest ever score. So... That's Some, that's someone get uh, Patty some tradie underwear. Tradie ads have been uh, the talk oh, of the town. they are shocking. So, Stewie, quick news roundup in the cricket before we get to the third test between the Poms and the Windies. Yeah, a couple of quick tidbits in the cricket world, starting off with the news that almost every Australian bloke wants to hear. Elise Perry is officially back on the market. <laughs> She's mutually ending her five-year marriage to Matt Tamua, but in all seriousness, it is obviously horrible to hear that sort of stuff happening. Thankfully, no kids. But look, sporting prowess for me, it's one of the most attractive traits in a lady. My wife's someone who can turn her hand to almost any sport. She'll not play golf for three years and then put a drive 200 metres straight down the middle, for example. It's a very, very attractive trait. Another dual sport player, of course, being a Matilda and a a, uh, cricketer. Very true, very true. We will get to that episode at some stage, I'm sure. Unfortunately for Perth Scorchers fans, though, Meg Lanning's decided to return to the Melbourne Stars for the Women's Big Bash after a couple of years on the West Coast. Sad to see her go as the number five ODI batter in the world and number six in T20 internationals as well. We're probably lucky to have her as long as we did. We probably were. 
Moving to India, the 2020 IPL season's been moved to the UAE across just three venues in Dubai, Sharjah, and Abu Dhabi. Mm. 60 matches across just 51 days in three venues. Mm. That's, that is hectic. You think sure the, is. You think the Big Bash is hectic, Nathan? Yeah, well, look, we might get to the Big Bash next time or another time. Uh, they, they clearly didn't listen. No, no, they didn't. But... So there's several games. Every team will play each other twice. But we might look at that closer to the season. I think so, yeah. But look, this is just hectic. I, I can't see how the grounds are going to hold up with that sort of working over, especially when you consider the temperatures in the UAE. So should be a, a very interesting one to see. Moving on to the Windies in England, Nathan. You got an update for us. Yeah, so they've they've smashed through three tests in record time, haven't they, really? And you wonder if perhaps there should have been a bit of a break. There's been talks that um, Shannon Gabriel's kind of fallen apart a little bit in the third test because there's been so little breaks. But England, first innings, uh, 369 they were sent in. Now, some have said that it was a mistake that they were sent in, but they were sent in. Great spread of scoring. Ollie Pope had 91. Butler had a 67 after I rubbished him. Yeah. Burns had a 57. Brody had a 62. Broad's had a very good match. Draco Malfoy, you mate. Uh, yes, indeed, yes. Uh, the Windies in reply... Not so great. Not so great at all. Uh, 197 for the team. Holder had a 46. Uh, Broad had 6 for 31. Now, I've got a great Broad stat for you. It's his 18th 5 for, And since taking the wicket of Shamar Brooks in the first innings of the second test, Broadie's numbers are 14 for 83. So 14 wickets for 83 runs conceded with 12 maidens in 36 overs. Yeah, I see his average for the series is about 10. He will almost certainly become the second Englishman to reach 500 test wickets in this match. So the Windies are needing 389 runs to win. They're currently 2 for 10. After England had a quick fire, 226 declared, having only lost two wickets. Rory Burns had a 90, Sibley had a 56, and Joe Root had a 68, not yeah, out. Yeah, quick fire, 68 from Joe Root. So. Yeah, very much so, off 56 balls. Yeah, it, it's not looking great for the Windies. It looks like England will rewrite that history, so they'll probably win their first series after being down 1-0 since 1888. So Stats are meant to be broken. They certainly are. Speaking of stats, Ben Stokes has officially become the number one all-rounder in the world, which makes sense when you look at his contribution in this series. He's averaged 90.75 with the bat, and 16.33 with the ball. Good for top and second in the entire series. So we were surprised when Holder was number one. It's no surprise that Stokes has jumped him. None at all. Not all good news for Stokesy, potentially, Stewie. No, there's a bit of a photo circulating where it looks like there's a pretty nasty stain on the back of his pants. And after leaving the field with indigestion in one, yes. of, the, one of the previous tests, yes. there's a lot of word going around that he may have soiled himself. Tim Payne owned up to it. I remember Matty Renshaw once was worried in India yep. uh, that he... Uh, and India, you know, their rules are a bit different in India, aren't they? Yeah, but, well, uh, well, Tim Payne said that he did that because he didn't want to leave the field. It was getting close to the end of the match and he thought if he left the field, there was a chance that they wouldn't get the result they were after. Stokes really didn't have that option because it was day one, so he couldn't really use that as an excuse. He went with that he sat in some coffee. Jeez, this... A lot of things that I never thought we'd cover. We're only two months in and we've already covered, should we? <laughs> Look, it's great to have cricket back, though, I will say. Finally, Stewie, normally what are you out for? But I don't even need to ask, do I? NBA, 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 NBA. 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 Yay! Get NBA. it in and around my eyes as quickly as possible. Until next week, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes. Sport Blokes.